Hello and welcome to the new series of View from the Sideline podcast. It's been almost 18 months since we last did a podcast, but we are back. This week we're going to look at how our teams have fared in the last 18 months, and we've also got some talking points from this weekend from the Premier League, so let's get started. Hello and welcome to a new series of View from the Sideline podcast. It's Chris here and as always, Liam is back. Hello, Liam. Hi, Chris. How you doing? Been a long time? Yeah, it's been a long time. 18 months. I think it was October 2020 was the last one. It was. Um, which I looked at. So, um, yeah, it's been a, a long time coming. A lot's changed since then. Um, a lot of football has changed as well. Um, I firmly believe that Villa were going to win the league. At that point, because I think you just <laughs> Liverpool 7-2. That's how long ago it was. Yeah, I think that the last one was when you just won 7-2 against, uh, against Liverpool. So a lot, a lot, a lot has changed for yeah. Aston Villa in the last <laughs> 18 months. Not all for the good, um, but like with, with Chelsea as well, not everything is as rosy as what it was maybe a year ago. Um but we've got some talking points from this weekend's games. Um, and we're going to start with something um, from Leeds, Liam. Yes. So I thought for this, we would start by the talking point of Bielsa being sacked by Leeds. Now, literally before we've come on air, about 20 minutes ago, I think, Leeds announced their new manager as Jesse March, who I have no idea about. Never heard of him. Never, Never heard, heard of him at all. <laughs> don't, don't know who he is. I think he's just a bloke. Like he's a regen on football manager. I think he's just been plucked out. Thin air. So I'm not going to talk too much about him. But I just, I just wanted to talk about Bielsa being sacked um, in general. And as you know, I love talking about Leeds United. Their fans mm-hmm. love me talking about Leeds United as well. Um, so I just wanted to have a bit of a chat, like see your opinion on what you think of, about um, Bielsa leaving. And um, just to sort of put my opinion across, which I think, based on previous podcasts, everyone will know that I don't like Leeds. So I think it might be quite surprising that I think it's a huge mistake getting rid of a manager who's got them promoted and obviously last year did very well. This year, I can see their results going downhill. They've obviously conceded a lot of goals recently, but with the key players that are missing through injury, it was always going to be difficult to match last season. Um, I also think, you know, what was Bielsa to do? He's got a load of defenders out. So if he was going to play defensively, then he doesn't have any fit defenders to do that. So he's, he was just trying to play to their strengths. So I think it's been very harsh. But I, I, just from you, Chris, what did, what did you think Leeds were going to do at the start of the season? Because I think, you know, maybe a relegation battle is not on the cards, but the top of the bottom half would have been right, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, I, when you look back at sort of the summer, um, you know, the squad that they ended with last season, um, I think the first point you have to make is is the players that were brought in. Um, I, you know, it, to me, they it doesn't seem like that Bielsa had full control of, of what players were coming in. You know, Daniel James being probably their sort of, Marquee signing, and to be fair, he hasn't really lived up to to what was probably 
that we thought he was going to be able to do. Um, but I, I would agree with you. I'd say they're probably just, I would have said, in the sort of top half, maybe ninth, 10th or 11th, I would have predicted. Um, but uh, it can't go unnoticed the last <laughs> four or five games. I think they've you know, conceded a considerable amount. I think it's the most a team has ever conceded in one month of the Premier League. Um, and I think he's almost, he was almost sort of stuck in his ways with how they play. Um, I, I think they're all, I think they've always sort of played the same sort of way since he joined. Uh, and, and maybe it was just coming a bit predictable for the other teams, you know, that they were up against. But, um, for me, I think it was, you know, they have come off the back of a 6-0 and a 4-0, you know, 6-0 being against Liverpool and the 4-0 against Tottenham, you know, at home as well. Tottenham haven't been great recently, so, but I think it's, you know, I, I don't think it was the right thing to do. I think, you know, they could have just stuck stuck it out, you know, for another couple of months, wait until, you know, sort of the end of the season and, and do it then, but, um, yeah, I, I'm kind of not surprised as to why they've done it. I'm just, you know, more thinking along the lines of, you know, they've just bought in a manager that me and you, you know, can't even think of a team that this guy's managed before. Um, so, you know, it's going to take it'll take time now to gel with these players. And, and like you said, they have got players out injured as well. So. He, he, he's got the. I think he's got the luxury of big players coming back, and I think luckily for them, just in time for the Villa game, I think Bamford and Phillips are coming back. But I think for Bielsa, like you say, he obviously did have his certain style of playing that was led around attacking football, and mm. you know we're not going to sit back and defend a one nil. But it seemed to make the fans happy, even if they went on to lose four three. And I think if they're, I don't know anything about this manager or about his style that they're bringing in, but if he's going to shut up shop, if he's going to do like a, an Allardyce Pulis type team to focus on defence first and, and getting a 1-0 win, I don't think Leeds fans are going to be happy at that. So it seems like a strange decision because I don't think it will be long before, if they do start playing that way, then they'll turn on the players. And I don't think that's going to be good for them staying up. Even if they do improve defensively, I think at least Bielsa had them playing away that the fans got behind mm. and that made a difference. But like you say, this new manager, he's got the players that are coming back to full fitness again. That will obviously help them. Um, but I personally, <laughs> I'm still looking at it now and I, I would have fancied Leeds to, su- to survive with Bielsa still in charge. I still think he would have turned it around because the nature of the way he plays football, they, they were still going to keep playing the same way. And with the players coming back into the team, I think they would have fit back into that quite well. If this new manager is going to come in and change that style, I think he could be doing... Do you remember a couple of years ago when Watford sacked Pearson when they looked nailed on for survival? Mm. And then Watford lost all their remaining games and went down. I know we're a bit further out from the end of the season, but you risk that happening with a new manager. So well, I think yeah, it's a very big gamble. He's got, he's got, a, he will have his own way. He will have his own style of playing. And obviously where Leeds have, have sort of played the Bielsa way for, you know, three, four seasons now, it's going to take time, hmm. which 
you know their position in the in the league at the moment they they probably don't have that that time at the moment but i mean if i mean the, 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 i think it's looking at the minute that you you if you're looking at the table obviously the teams behind Leeds have all got games in hand hmm. i don't expect them to win all of them but at the minute, with the form, like Burnley are finding a bit of form. Obviously, Newcastle have played well to get themselves out of it a little bit. There's going to be a big team going down this year. And I think one of Leeds or Everton is going to be that team. It will oh, just great. be an interesting end to the season, I think, because they, they both seem to be having a bit of a nosedive at the moment. But I would have backed Bielsa to turn it around if it had stayed. So, I, like you say... I. You, you have a run of results like that. You you expect questions to be asked and for the the yeah. beyond. I, I still found it surprising. I think Leeds played Brentford last game of the season as well. That could be, be a big game. So, but yeah, I, I think I think it's it's just it's just come at the wrong time for Leeds. I think, and I mean the proof will be in the pudding with what this guy can do, and if he can turn it around quick enough to you know get some results. I I pers- I. I'm unsure whether they will actually go down. I think Everton are more likely to go down than they will. But I wonder where Bielsa will go next. I think he's done enough to earn himself quite a, a decent club, don't you? Oh yeah, I, I think you know, it will. It will probably be like a mid-range Spanish team. I think someone like Betis or something like that. But yeah. as long as his interpreter goes with him, yeah, because we he, all got to think he's off. probably lost his job in this as well. So. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if he had to translate that he was to, to be asked <laughs> that he was getting sacked. Imagine that conversation. That would have been, would have been cool. a bit of yeah. But um, yeah, we'll have to see what what they can. Did you say they got Villa next? I th- it's, it's either next or it's oh, coming up soon. Um, uh, I saw on Twitter that uh, Bamford and Phillips are scheduled to be back for the Villa game. So. Um, oh, yeah, Bamford. Bamford. Oof. Yeah, I've got nightmares about him still. I'm still not over that hat trick. <laughs> Never mind, never mind. But we'll, we'll we'll move on to the next um, thing that we're going to discuss, and it's it's around VAR again. Um, it's obviously been eighteen months since we had to talk about VAR, um, but this um, the, the the one in question that we're looking at is the Manchester City Everton game, um, and handball. Very very much handball. Yeah. <laughs> um, that. Was not picked up um, by any any official, um, but was managed to pick up by every single other person um, in the, in the ground, on the pitch, and most likely at home watching as well. Um, it's it's getting to a stage now where there just seems to be a lot of inconsistency, and almost to the point where there's too many opinions now. With, with obviously you've got the referee, who you know, fair play, he might not have seen it on the pitch, but then he's got a linesman, and then he's got someone six hundred miles away in an office looking at it from a t on TV. Now, I don't understand how it's got to the point where. No one can, no one who is officiating this game can see that that's a handball. Even Rodbury looks around as if to say, oh no, <laughs> yeah. what have I just done? 
I've just handballed it inside the box. I've given away a penalty. And his face after when nothing is happening, <laughs> literally nothing is happening. And, you know, you, you have to feel um, for Everton a little bit because, you know, they they, they actually play quite well. And, yeah. they, and in the games, that you know, since Frank Lampard has been there, they've actually played quite well. And to be fair, they actually, they brought in, you know, Donny van der Beek, who's, you know, who is didn't really get that much of a chance at Manchester United, but is getting chances at Everton, and he's showing probably why he should have been playing for Man United this season. But, you know, it's one of those, really, where it's starting to creep in the game more and more now. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed it, um, where it's especially now where you've got the referee... The linesman, the people in that place where they look at the VAR, and then they tell the referee to go and look at the screen. It's like, how, how does it get that far? But I don't know. I don't know. I, you know, the whole process I think needs looking at. I, you know, it's good to have because it does. You know, the majority of the time, it does get those sorts of offsides and it does get, catch those penalties appeals that do go unnoticed but there are on the occasion now where even the most obvious is still not being picked up I think what I would like to see and I don't know I don't necessarily know how to go about implementing this but I think the first thing you have to look at was something like this that happened in the City Everton game the referee or the assistants must know that something has happened. He must be watching that phase of play, the referee. Yeah. He sees all the appeals going on for handball and the assistants both as well. If he genuinely couldn't see it, I that's fine. I understand that. But I think VAR should now be used in a similar way, I think, to the way that Rugby Union do it. I think the referee should be the one who calls for a VAR check. Yeah. If he is happy that he's made a decision and he's 100% behind it, fine. That's okay. Because you don't want to go to VAR for every single decision that's been made. No. But there must be an element of doubt in his mind to the decision he's made there or for the assistance. So for something like this, I think. If the referee can't see it, he's not given handball, that's fine. But the assistant might want to, they've got the microphone so they can talk yeah. to each other in their headsets and stuff to say, actually, mate, you might want to check that. It might have come off his arm. And then give him the chance to do it himself. Rather than VAR looking at every single decision, every offside, the offsides are the ones that really annoy me as well because when is level not level? You know, you can have a toe in, in like in front of the defender and be offside. I don't think they should be being given, really. I think you've got to trust the assistants. I think nine yeah. out of ten, they're fine. But if the assistant wants to check them again, I think then they should say, VAR, can you check it for me? And that's how you get to the major decisions then being made 
by video referee. But I think, so for example, if there's some, the, the reason that VAR is there is for clear and obvious, but the referee's missed it. So if the ref is down at one end of the pitch and a fight breaks out at the other end and he wants to see who's punched who in, in the face because he hasn't seen it, he can go to VAR and use it. That's great. That's what it's for. But he shouldn't be relying on it for these kind of really simple decisions. No. I don't know. There's got to be, I think we need to give the referees more power to say, I want to use it now or I don't want to use it now. At the minute, we're using it for so much. And like you say, there's real inconsistency. Every time the ball strikes a hand in the box, it's going to be AR. Some of them are being given. Some of them aren't. Why this wasn't given as handball, I have absolutely no idea. But they've got to do something to take away that inconsistency. And I think taking away the number of incidents that go to VAR is going to be a way to do it. I don't know about you, Chris, but I'm watching football now, and every time the ball goes in the net, I'm sat there waiting, seeing what could or couldn't be used in VAR, seeing if there's an offside or a push or something like that. I'm not celebrating goals anymore. Yeah, I'm looking can't. around at all the assistants to see what what is going on and to see whether there's going to be a VAR check. It's not fun anymore. You can't you can't celebrate straight away and you can't get mad <laughs> straight away. Yeah, um, that is the other side of it. I get really hopeful every time the opposition scores that something is going to be in the mood start, that gets pulled start, back. You start thinking about a minute ago. I swear someone yeah. bowled it. Uh, you know, come on. But do you, do you, you know you said about obviously um, rugby union? Um, yeah. They also have audio. You can hear audio between. Yeah. The referee and the the person checking the screens in rugby union. Yeah. So, do you think something like that would would be beneficial in the Premier League, or yeah. do you? Because to me, it's, it's obvious that I think it won. You know, not so much for the people in the in the crowd, um, because obviously there's a lot of noise going on in the crowd, so you, you might not necessarily hear it, but. Obviously, when you're watching at home, it's always good to hear of, of, of how they've come to that decision. You know, yeah. why is the person at the the park place, whatever it's called, why are they saying for the referee to go and go and check it? It, it just gives them more of an insight into the mind of of, of how they come into that decision. I, th- I um, think because I would have loved to see the the conversation. Absolutely, you know, some of them. So I, I think that because they trialed it, didn't they? I think in the Australian. League, I think. Yeah, they did, they did. And you know, uh, they even got yeah. one of the Australian referees who was trialling it over there. He actually, he does... He did it over here. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and I think, I think it's, I think it's a brilliant idea. I think they should do it. I think the reason that they haven't, I think there's, there's two reasons. One, they love defending the refs. Like, like I would love a referee to come out after a game and explain a decision. You yeah. know, a major talking point. Not even in the like post-match interviews. Just release a statement, you know, that evening or the day after or something, just to say, well, here's why I decided to do that. But they stopped them from doing that. They don't like that contact with the referees and the fans for some reason. And secondly, I genuinely think one of the main reasons they're not doing it is because they know that there'll be a lot of bad language on telly if they start doing that in the middle of the day on Sky Sports. You know, it'll be a Saturday lunchtime and they'll have players and fans coming over a microphone mm. swearing a lot. I think in rugby union, generally the respect for referees is obviously a lot higher between the players and the officials. 
occasionally you'll get a bit of bad language coming over, but because the officials have that much respect, players won't want to do that because they'll get a yellow card and they'll get sinned in 10 minutes. So we don't have that respect for referees in this country, um, not with football at least. So I think they'll, their argument for not doing that will be around the abuse that referees get and not wanting yeah. to cross the telly. But on the other hand, I think if we did actually hear the abuse that the referees were getting week in, week out, it might make people think twice about doing it. So I think it, there might be a silver lining to if we do that. It wouldn't stop straight away, but I think if the fans actually heard the abuse the referees that were getting and the language that was used and the aggression that was used towards them, it might make fans a little bit more accepting of referees' decisions, I think. Um, it would be an interesting trial, though. I would like to see us do it in the um, in a cup, in like, say the League Cup or something, or the Community Shield, just one game, just to trial it to see how it goes. I think that'd be interesting because there'd be nothing on that game. So, yeah, definitely something I think we could use. Definitely worth a try, I think. And hopefully, um, you know, that maybe next season they they try and some of these rules, they try and just, you know, be a bit more lenient on them, not have so many different rules for one different thing, like for handball. So many different rules for handballs these days. It's unbelievable. But, yeah. Anyway, so we're now going to move on over to our last talking point of the weekend, which is the um, news that Roman Abramovich has handed over a stewardship to the Chelsea trustees. Um, so yeah, so, you know, from a football point of view, um, you know, stewardship, I mean, you know, that, that word is, is, is a word used, I think just, um, it's a, it's a temporary measure. Um, so yeah, so it's, um, you know, from, from a Chelsea point of view, it's, um, you know, it, it, it could bring a lot of change, um. Is he yeah. still back in the club financially? Is that the idea? He back financially. Yeah, I think I think he's he's kind of you know taking a back seat and and he you know rightly should at this point in time. Um, but I think you know I think investment wise I still think that will be there. Um, but you know it's one of those things that we'll just have to wait and see what happens. Um, you know. You know, it's, it's a difficult thing to talk about, um, but you know, from a Chelsea point of view, um, you know, they they just got to go out, go on there, and, and carry on what they're doing. Um, but yeah, I've seen, so, seen tonight as well, Chris. And I don't know what you think of it. Obviously, we're not a politics podcast. We're not going to get into all that, but. Um, Russian teams have been kicked out of European competition and that kind of thing. Do you think there is a worry that it's going to stretch to owners, and that's why he stepped away? Well, uh, yeah, I think aside I think, from the obvious, of course. But yeah, I, I think um, there's an element um, that you know, from a club point of view, not from an owner point of view, but from the club itself, and probably those trustees that have now got stewardship. It's, you know, at this point in time, it's probably best that, you know, they separate, you know, the two things. So you've got the owner and you've got the club. Um, and, you know, with what's happened in the past with the owner, you know, is, 
that they probably thought about that, and that's probably now why they're trying to separate the two things. Um, but yeah, it's you know it's going to be those things. We'll just have to you know see what happens around the club, um, and you know you know they'll they'll just have to see see what they can do. But you know if they they may end up having you know to to look for a, a, a new possible buyer for the club. We just don't know. It's just one of those things where um what's what's happening outside of football is happening. Um so yeah. It's gonna be an interesting time I think. Yeah. I think like you, I reckon there'll be suitors come in the summer, um people that want to buy Chelsea, it'll just be how rich they are, I suppose. Um, yeah. yeah we- you can keep up with the likes of Man City and, and teams like that, but um well, yeah, from a Chelsea point of view, obviously he's he's made Chelsea what they are today. Like from a football, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I imagine fans will obviously be extremely grateful for everything won under his money and his ownership and things like that. But maybe there does come a time where you have to think that, yeah, it's got to be. Uh, you can maybe take a, a couple of years of not winning winning a trophy for better things in the future, if that makes sense. Kind of like you did when when the transfer ban happened, mm. you had Lampard sort of come in to know that you weren't going to win anything immediately, but it's built a youth, a youth system that Chelsea now use regularly with Mount and James and things like that. Sometimes a step back can be quite good. So yeah. interesting to see whether that kind of thing happens again. But yeah, like you said, it was just have to wait and see what happens in the next, you know, couple of months. But like I think you're right. I think, you know you know, Chelsea are, you know, some people hate to say it, but they are one of the biggest clubs in, in England. So um I think there's always going to be a potential for, for a possible buyer out there. Um ain't gonna come cheap, but you mm. know um I think for this time right now, I think it, What's happening is, 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 you know, for the best for the club. So, yeah. So that was um, all the talking points from this week. And um, that is the end of uh, part one. So in part two, we'll be back. We're going to look back on the last 18 months of our clubs. Um, I've got a Who Am I? and Wonders of White and Liam's... Hopefully, going to give me a very easy quiz. <laughs> but we'll be back in part two. Welcome back to part two of View from Sideline podcast. Uh, we're going to have a little bit of a catch up now between the two of us about how our teams have been getting on in the last 18 months. So I'm going to start off with a little bit about Villa. Uh, when we left off, we had just beaten Liverpool 7-2, like we said earlier. And I was convinced we were, going to, we were going to become a real four. You know, it was, uh, it was all looking good. And to be fair, last season, I can't moan with the position that we finished from battling relegation to coming very much middle of the table. Um, you know, someone had offered me, I think it was 11th in the end when we came up, 
Um, if someone had offered me that kind of season, I'd have snapped their hand off at the beginning. So um, to finish where we did was great. But to have results like 7-2 against Liverpool, I think we beat Arsenal twice. Um, to have those kind of results, I think we beat Leicester as well away, which um, not many teams did. And um, we seem to do well against the big boys. And when when you start winning those games like we did, you, you do start thinking, you know, Europa League might be on the cards here. And then to have some of the silly losses that we did last season, it was, yeah, it was a, a real, it was a roller coaster, shall we say, last season. A roller coaster that ended probably in the first season for a number of years where we didn't actually have anything to play for come the end of the season. We weren't looking for promotion from the championship. We weren't battling relegation. So what should have been quite an easy season actually wasn't with the results that we were getting. But since then, bit of a bad start to this season. Dean Smith obviously being let go, which I think all Villa fans will still hold him in high regard. I don't think anyone will... um, begrudge him of, of a sort of cult hero status at Villa. You know, he got us back promoted. We got to a league cup final. He kept us in the league. And we had that game against Liverpool, which we will talk about for many years to come, I'm sure. But since Gerrard's come in, we had a little bit of a bounce. I can understand why Smith was sacked and they brought Gerrard in for the way he sort of plays football. He's been doing it with Rangers for a long time, that sort of high high pressure um you know, wing-backs getting forward. Um, we had what looked like a good squad on paper that fit his style. I think since he's joined, he's been a little bit unlucky that the holding midfielder that is so important in his style has been injured in the camber. He really sort of came into his own when Gerard came in. Um, as we've lost him, I think... Our defence has looked a little bit shaky with David Luiz playing at sort of like a number six role. But still this season, you know, we're looking up. He he took charge when we were 15th, I think. And, you know, we're now a little bit above there. <laughs> I think 12th last that I looked. So um, things are looking up gradually. Um, we've got some great signings coming in. You know, Buendia has been great for us all season. To get Coutinho on loan, I nearly fainted, to be honest, because I never imagined that a player of his quality would come to us so soon. Um, and it's good to see that he's been playing well. You know, and I think he's one of those players that if the fans take to him, he takes to the fans. So um, I'm hoping to see more of the same. Um, he's done really well. The, the, the player that really hasn't this season that I sort of expected to um, show top form, and it's mostly down to injuries again, is Leon Bailey. He's been a little bit disappointing. We obviously paid... I think nearly £30 million for him in the summer. Um, but he struggled with injuries. His hamstring has, has kept on going and, and tearing and things like that. So he's not had a chance to hit his top form yet. And now we've brought Gerard in. It's a bit of a struggle to see where he fits in that system. Um, but it's nice to see Watkins and Danny Ings finally getting games together. And we actually scored at the weekend. So, um yeah, things are looking up for us, but it's been a bit of a turbulent time. So, um, yeah, what have you made of us this season, Chris? Yeah, well, you know, like you said, it, you, you didn't get off to the greatest starts. And I think probably it was it's probably the right time to get a new manager in, you know. 
after I think it was was it two three months into the yeah season? no then. you know it gives Gerard enough time it gives Gerard a, a transfer window um, to to bring people in and you know Coutinho you know it was a huge signing for you it was probably one of the biggest you know signings in in the Jan- January transfer window um, and he he made you know an, an almost inst- instant impact. Um, he scored. Didn't he? he set one up and scored. Yeah, um, in his first, first his first game. So you know, and you know he's probably joined you because Gerard is your manager. So, yeah. so you know you've got you know you've got that connection um, there that Gerard. You know he's fairly young. He, he you know he only gave up football what four or five seasons ago. So he some of the players that he was playing with at that time are still about. Luis Suarez um, so okay. <laughs> um, but yeah you know there's been a huge difference in, in your results and how you've been playing since you know Gerard came in and um, you know at the start of the season I probably would have said that you were going to be in and around sort of you know the 8th and ninth, 10th place maybe um, and I, I think he will get you there I think you will you know, you will slowly creep up um, to get obviously, there. Obviously, the elephant in the room, and I haven't mentioned him because um, he's no longer part of our club, but Jack Grealish leaving was obviously a huge loss. So, um, yeah. It took, I, us a, it took us a while to get used to playing without him, but I think, especially over the last few months, um, Jacob Ramsey's really come into his own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More, it's more important for the fans, I think, to have that homegrown talent that they can really get behind. And yeah. we lost Grealish and felt that there was a big hole. You know, the homegrown talent, the homegrown lad coming and playing for his club that he's been a part of since he was a kid. So to have Ramsey hit that kind of form and get the fans back on his side, I think there's been a real positive air around Villa, even though we've obviously had a few bad results recently. We, we did go on a bit of a bad run. There's still positivity there, which we didn't have when we got relegated from the Premier League last time. It was all negative. So um, I think we're looking forward to the future. I still think if we finish 12th, we finish 12th. That's okay. I think next year will be the big test. And I think we're... Yeah, we're 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 looking forwards rather we're looking upwards rather than downwards. I think at the moment, which is uh, fair to say. Just quickly, briefly on on Grealish, um, I I personally don't think Man City was the right move for him. Um, you you know you got the money that you rightly deserved for him because of the the huge you know the the hole that he left in your team, but. I don't know. For me, it hasn't worked at Man City for him. The thing with Man City is they've got so many players, attacking players, that are better than Grealish. That's that's the problem. I think Um, what made Grealish so good for us was he would he'd pick the ball up and he'd run at defenders. Yeah, lure them into a tackle, and it's just not how City play. City play methodical passing football. And you could replace him with any number of people in that team. And it's worked for them. Like, I'm not criticising their style at all. No, no. But Grealish isn't, or wouldn't have been the type of player that I would have thought they'd have been interested in. When you look at how teams like, 
Liverpool play, even how you play with Chelsea, he probably would have suited that style a little bit more. Um, it was a strange decision. I, I understand why he went. He, you know, he wants to play European football and he didn't get a chance to do that at Villa. That's fine. He's, he's got a short career. He wants to win, win as many trophies as, as possible. Um, but I do think maybe in three years' time, he will have won a few trophies, but I think yeah. he will regret the team that he joined just because it didn't suit his style. I've, I just I just got a feeling that it's going to... He'll be there next season and he's just slowly going to get less and less time. Um, I think he'll be there a couple of years, then he'll come back on loan to us and then we'll sign him permanently when his contract yeah. comes out. I think he will end up back at Villa. I don't, I yeah. don't doubt that. Um, but you know, we'll have to just wait and see. Um, but yeah, but we'll um, we'll move on to Chelsea now. Um, so again, um, a lot has changed. Um, we've lost the manager last January. Um, Frank Lampard, it, you know, it didn't work out in the end. You know, he did, he did a lot for you know the club. He got, you know, he went, he went, he got us through a transfer ban and we still finished fourth. Um, he got the most out of the players that he had, the young players as well, like Mason Mount, you know, Reese James. Um, and then obviously, um, Tuchel took over last January. Pretty much, I would say, we looked unbeatable um, for the first four or five months that he was there. Um, and we were playing sort of a different way, different bit of football. We were certainly more um, attentive defensively. Um, and, you know, they brought in players like Mendy, the goalkeeper, who, <coughs> um, you know, has been absolutely solid for us. He's been the best keeper we've had for, you know, a long time. Um, and I think he's only conceded four goals in 16 Champions League games, which is unbelievable, really, when you think about it. Um, speaking of Champions League, he went on to, to win it last season. Um, probably one of the most nervous games I think I've ever watched. More nervous than when they played Bayern Munich in the final. Um, because I knew, I knew how much Man City wanted to win it. Um, but on the day we were just, we were just the better team. And again, we just defended really, really well. Um, and then obviously in the summer we bought in Lukaku. Um, a lot's been said about that. <laughs> uh, he said a lot about that, as we say. Um, you know, I think it's one of those things where, uh, you know, he said he has said something and it's almost spiralled out of control. Um, and he, you know, I think the last thing you do when you join a club after three or four months is criticise the way that the manager's playing the team because he's not playing it around you. Um, I don't know what you thought about that of when you saw it come out that he had openly done an interview from what I'm aware without the football club's permission <laughs> saying that he never actually wanted to leave the club that you know 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just thought it was stupid, to be honest. Like, I, he's an idiot for doing it. I mean, I've never known a player so quickly <laughs> after joining a club go against the tactic. mistake. Yeah. I just wondered what what he was expecting in that time. Um, yeah, I, I've never known anything like it, to be honest. But uh, what, very you, strange. What, what do you want to happen with him? Now. The thing is, they spent so much money on him, they, they need to make it work. We have got a really bad reputation of signing these strikers for lots of money, and they just turn out to be crap. You can go back as far as players like Torres. Yes, you know, I love the guy, Torres, but, I could, you know, he... he, he the. It's all there to see. He was terrible at Chelsea. Shevchenko never really lived up to the hype that he was at Milan. He had a few good games here and there. Mutu. Number one, Mutu ended up having to leave because of drugs and stuff. Crespo, remember Hernan Crespo? Oh, yeah. Came to Chelsea for didn't do anything. two seasons, didn't really do anything. Kesman was another... Right, you can stop listening. I mean, could you even say the same about Werner probably this season? But The thing is with Werner is, although, especially last season, he got criticised. I know he's a striker, right? But he he's at his best when he's coming in from the left. Yeah. Now, he didn't score a huge amount of goals, but he scored and assisted over 30, got over 30 last season. I think it was like 12 goals and 18 assists, which, you know, for maybe if you could class him as a left winger, that's not good. that bad. That is good. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the guy is just so short of confidence. It's just so clear to see that when he's got the ball, um, you know, there are some games where he plays exceptionally well. Um, I thought he had a really good game um, against Tottenham in the uh, Carabao Cup um, semi-final in the second leg. I thought he, he played really well. Um, but there's just not enough um, of those sorts of performances. And like I said, like if you throw on goal, uh, you you don't back him scoring, which is really bad, you know, mm. for your own player. But he's one of those where I think he does enough to warrant how much we... Because we only paid like 50 million for him. I know it sounds stupid me saying it like that, but when you compare it to what we spent previously mm. on, on strikers. Um, but going back to your question... I think with Lukaku, I think it's just form. I think once he starts scoring a couple, he then can get going. But he's it's been so stop-start for him, especially around Christmas this year, where he got injured, and then after he got injured, he got COVID. So you know he was he was almost out for about six six seven weeks. So, um, but you know he's the closest thing to Drogba that we've had. <laughs> um, where he can hold the ball up and, you know, when he does have a chance, you know, you, you are confident that he's going to get it on target. Um, so, yeah, um, but we've also, I think the gap between us and City this season, um, 
I think is you know, is told in our performances. We've been very up and down the last two, three months. You know, when we have won games, it's been, you know, by the odd goal. Um but we haven't actually lost in 18 matches in all competitions. So and the one at the weekend doesn't count because it's on penalties. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we're not, we're, we're not doing bad. Uh, and I think it's helped that Man United, West Ham, Wolves and Tottenham and Arsenal have had real rocky patches as well. And, that, and that's the only reason why we're, you know, four or five points ahead of them. Um, because if they would have won some of the games that they they'd lost, you know, we we probably wouldn't be in the top four. So it's a it's it's a strange one. I don't think we played great this season, but we're doing enough to keep our heads in that sort of top four. And you know, another another Champions League win wouldn't go and miss. And obviously, we won the Club World Cup, but. I think you're expected to win that, aren't you? If you win the Champions League, you're expected to win yeah. that competition. So, um, although we made hard work of it, we still got there in the end. Um, what, what do you think for some of them? Obviously, we spoke about Lukaku, but let's, let's just say he stays and he's going to be starting next year. Yeah. What position is Tuchel looking at in summer? It's a hard one, really, because it's, uh, I, defensively, I still think I. So we've got Thiago Silva, but he's not the long-term plan. Clearly, he's not the long-term plan. Although he's got another year on his contract. Rudiger is the one, one defender that I, one hundred percent, I have confidence in. Um, but other players like Christensen, um, Chalaba's done well. But I think recently he has struggled. Um, he was getting torn apart by Mane yesterday. Um, well, he actually did physically get torn apart by Kater, didn't he? I think. He yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but we've got so we've got quite a lot of forward players. Um, but you know, you know what the big teams are like. They're, they're bound. We're bound to spend money on someone. Um, but I'd be I'd be looking at sort of the because they, they, we've been on about signing this Kunde guy from Sevilla for about two years now and he's still at Sevilla, um, but he would be the one person that I think that we could do with getting is is another strong centre back, mm-hmm. um, and and I hate to say it without Thiago Silva this year, he's been good, hasn't he? Yeah, he's really he has you know more than sort of my expectations when we signed him I was thinking he'd probably play every other game um but he's kept himself fit and you know he's he's led from the back really um you know and he's he's done incredibly well and he's and they've given him another year on his contract so that you know he'll be 38 next year so you know that kind of says it all really mm-hmm. but yeah so um, so that was uh, a Villa and Chelsea 18 month round. I just want to quickly say, because we didn't do a podcast um, last year, World Cup. No, not World Euros. Cup. Euros. Euros. I'm even yeah. get, I was getting excited then because it was I World know. Cup this year. Um, so, so close. <laughs> so, so close. 
so close, but yeah. I don't want to bring it up because I still know it's painful for some people. Yeah, um, it's, it's, it's still boring a hole in my soul just thinking about it. <laughs> um, yeah, but, you know, up until the final, what a summer it was. It was. Yeah. Yeah, I went. I went to the Germany game. I. 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 I've never been to a, a ground with an atmosphere like that. It was unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah, that. Uh, that game against Germany, I think, is the happiest I've been watching a football game for many, many years. Um, for that goal to go in. Well, to be fair, I mean, actually, I, I take it back. For the, for the goal to go in in the final, obviously we scored very early to go one nil up. Yeah, I think is the happiest moment I've ever had <laughs> watching a football match. It was just sheer delight. But then, yeah, we'll forget the remaining eighty-eight minutes. Yes, <laughs> or even okay. longer. Yeah. So we're going to move on now, and I believe you have a quiz for me. I do. Yeah. Um, so, you'll be glad to know I have not researched anything, so that <laughs> could good. be a bit rusty. So I thought, seeing as we've just had a catch-up with um, our teams about what's happened since we've been away, I thought I'd do a quiz about stuff that has happened in the last 18 months. So um, I, had a, I had a flick back to see when our last podcast was released. So it was October the 6th, 2020. Yep. So everything that I'm about to ask you has happened from October the 6th, 2020, right until now. So you're only going to get, you're going to get 10 questions. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, uh, try and keep a score going here, just so we know how you get on. Um, 10 questions. Some of them are multiple choice. Uh, some of them you get more points for, but, um, we'll just see how you get on, shall we? We'll just see how, um, you might know quite a few. So I'm going to start with question one, as you would imagine. So, including the manager that was in place on October the 6th in 2020, how many managers have Watford had since oh, we recorded a podcast? Oh, no. Uh, I am going to say, so including Hodgson, I will including say... Including the manager that was in place when we recorded okay. uh, Yes, how many managers they had? I am going to say five. You're one away. They've had four managers. Four Four managers since. So we've had um, Vladimir Ivic, who I'd never heard of. I've heard of him. Who was in charge when we last recorded a podcast. Uh, And that was handed over to Zisco Munoz, who I vaguely remember. I think he got them promoted. And then Claudio Ranieri. and finally, Roy Hodgson is now their manager. So, um, zero points on question one. Um, question number two. So, this one, I think you've got more of a chance of because it's about Chelsea. So, starting from the game against Southampton on October the 17th, 2020, who is Chelsea's top scorer? So, all games considered from October the 17th, 2020 against Southampton, who has scored the most goals for Chelsea in that period? And that's Premier League goals. I'll say that's right. Premier League goals. So from then till now, is that what you're saying? Basically, yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, blimey. I, oh, 
I am going to say... This is quite a difficult one, really, because we don't tend to... As you say, your strikers are pretty rubbish. It's not a striker, then. <laughs> it's not a striker. I'll give you that as a clue. Um, I am gonna. I'm just gonna go out there and say it's. I'll just say Mount. I don't think it's Mount. It might be James. I don't know. You're in the right position with Mount. It's Jorginho. Oh, bloody penalties, isn't it? Yeah. It's Jorginho with his penalties. He scored 13 goals since uh, um, since we last recorded. And so I would uh, imagine they're all penalties because I don't think he's... Oh, most of them are. He takes three kicks though as well. There's maybe one or two free kicks have gone in. But yeah, 13 goals. Um, so yeah, new striker definitely required. Um, question number three. Certain United won promotion back to the Football League in 2021, but which team went up alongside them in the playoffs, beating Torquay on penalties in the final? Harrogate. Oh, he's got an H. There's Hartley Paul, I'm afraid. Uh... He just got the wrong one. That's, I mean, you've hit the post of that one, to be fair. It's not, not too bad, but uh, <laughs> still yet to score. So we're going to question number four. I thought these were going to be easier. So, which of these teams have won their domestic league since we last recorded? So, basically, last season, which of these teams won their league? Real Madrid, Juventus, Besiktas, or Porto? Hmm. So, are you just looking for one or two? Uh, just there's one team out of those four that won their league last year. Which one was it? Well, um, I am gonna say. I want to say that one, but that no, wasn't them. Besiktas. He's got one right. Nice one. Well yeah, done. I was, was going to say Juventus, but I'm pretty sure one of the Milans won it. Yeah, I think Inter won Serie A. Yeah. But the Sittas, yeah, they won the Turkish League by one goal um, last season. Yeah, it is last season. Um, yeah, they won the Turkish League by one goal, um, which is incredible if you go and have a look about it. Um, so he's off the mark on one point. Question number five. Yep. Euro 2020, as we've just discussed, took place during our extended break. But who finished joint top scorer with Cristiano Ronaldo on five goals? I can give you a close for this. Yeah, go on then. Uh, he scored the goal of the tournament against Scotland. Oh, um, Schick. Correct. Yeah, That's Schick. Yeah. yeah. Two points. Oh, got five. I'll give five one goals? more use of a clue. Um, oh. later, just because I think that's fair. Did he? Uh, it's a little bit harder. Didn't realise he scored that many. If no, neither did I, to be fair. Um, five goals, but the only one that you remember is the one from the halfway line. And to be yeah. fair, you know, why wouldn't you? Um, so, talking of top scorers, Manchester City won the title in 2021 with relative ease. But who was their top scorer with 13 goals? 13 goals. Hmm. I am going 
going to say got two players in mind one of them is English can I have can I use my other clue um, yes now I'm going to have to think of another clue um, <laughs> I, I, well I can tell you it's not the English one that you're thinking it's of it's not the English one no no I'm just gonna, I just don't think he played that much uh, that's the same with all Man City players. I don't think they all play enough. Pep's rotation system. On I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say Bernardo Silva. But that's a good guess. To be fair, it's but, go on. I'd say my other guess would have just been Aguero. No, it was Ilkay Gundogan. Oh my god. Yeah, which won the league as well. But Bernardo Silva's not a bad guess because I think he did score quite a lot last season. I think he must have been there or thereabouts. But yeah, yeah, yeah. thirteen goals, Man City last season seems like such a long time ago. Um, okay, cool. So um, I found this news story in the week, uh, in this week, sorry, and just thought it was quite interesting. So question number seven: Which Everton legend came out of retirement in November 2021 at the age of 40? to represent ES Lusi, a team in the 10th tier of French football. And I can give you a clue for this one. Yeah. Before, before he plays for ES Lusi, he was the one-club man with Everton. The one-club man. Man. Well, I'm not really high up on my Everton knowledge. Um... I have no idea. I will put you out of your misery. It is Tony Hibbert, the legend that is Tony Hibbert. Why is it? <laughs> I'm not even going to ask how it came about, but yeah. Uh, well, I, I can tell you, he bought a carp fishing farm uh... in France. After I went to move out there, and now he plays football in the 10th tier of France. Mm. So, not bad. Uh, question number eight. So, it wouldn't be a proper transfer window without PSG splashing a little bit of cash in the summer of 2021. But they made four very high-profile free transfers in Vinaldum, Ramos, Messi and Donnarumma. But which of those four has played the most league games since joining? Who was the first two? Donnarumma... Uh, Donnarumma, Messi, Ramos, and Vinalden. Who's played the most for PSG since joining? I'm just going to take a guess and say the goalkeeper. It is Vinalden, actually. I had a look at the stats earlier. Donnarumma's hardly played since he's joined. Um, I think PSG have still got another keeper whose name escapes me, and they sort of rotate it around. But it is Navas. Kaylor Navas, yeah, he plays for them. Like they swap games, I think. I didn't think he was playing that much because they they were on about him leaving, weren't they? In January, I don't know. Who knows? It's definitely Vinaldum. I think he played about twenty eight games. I don't think he's actually missed much since joining. So, right. um, yeah, out of those three, wouldn't, uh, out of those four, sorry, wouldn't have expected that. But question number nine: Who am I? I've taken a leaf out of your book here. So for three points. 
Uh, I scored on my international debut for England in March 2021. March 2021. I'll tell you, it was against San Marino. <laughs> um, Bellingham? It is not Bellingham. But for two points... In April 2021, I became the first player to score four goals against Liverpool in a single season since Andre Archibin in 2008-2009. Four goals. And as we mentioned earlier, there was a big game that happened that we've spoken about already, which might be a little bit of a hint. My brain's like a fish. I ain't got a clue. Um, uh, No. Go on then. Next one. For one point then, I ended last season as Aston Villa's top scorer with 16 goals in all competitions. 16 goals? Come on, I'll be I'll be disappointed in you. I've got a name, but I've I'm struggling to think if he signed Danny Ings is the only person I can think of. It's not him. Not him. No. Why has my mind gone blank? He scored that historic he scored three goals in that historic seven two win over Liverpool. I'm gonna put you out of your misery. Yeah. Oh my god, I never would have got that. I completely <laughs> forgot about him, if I'm honest. Everyone's forgotten about Ollie Watkins, although he did score this weekend for the first time in ages. So, final question to put you out of your misery completely. On June the 3rd, 2021, the Lord himself, Nicholas Bentner, retired at the age of 33. But for which <laughs> team did he score the most goals for? Was it Arsenal, Rosenberg, or Denmark? I'll just say Arsenal, because I ain't got a clue. I don't think he even plays for Denmark that much, does he? He was actually, he, I think he is actually their all-time top scorer, and oh he scored more for Denmark God. than for anyone else. He's scored more goals internationally than at club level, which I think is quite an impressive feat, but shows how terrible he was at club level. So um, Didn't he get fined once for showing his pants when he was scored yeah, up? Yeah, he did. I think he showed off some kind of betting. He had a betting company on there, didn't he? Yeah. So um, that's the end of the quiz. Well done. You got two out of ten. That's not bad. Two out of ten. My God. I'll, I'll make it easier for next week. I need to, I need to get some sleep or do some research. Do you know what? I might make it easy for you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say here and now, I'm going to do a quiz on Chelsea next week. God, there's no pressure then. <laughs> the pressure all on you. It, it, it'll be like going on Mastermind, and that's your specialist subject. Yeah. I'm sure yeah. it will be. All right, so next, Mastermind special next week, is it? Mastermind then? special, specialist subject, <laughs> Chelsea. Okay, I'm going I'm to get called out for not being a proper fan now. <laughs> um, okay, so we'll move on to the Wonders of White, which are finally back. Um, and the first one is about Villa. Hooray! So... Um, at the weekend, 
so on Saturday, it was exactly 23 years since the last Premier League team fielded an all-English team. And it was Villa. I remember it, yeah. They they play Coventry, apparently. And, uh, yeah, you were the last team to field an all-English team. 23 years ago, that's mad, isn't it? Yeah, it's such a long time. But what a team we had back then. Um, uh, So this is Everton's worst points total at this stage of the season since their since their 29-30 campaign. And I'm talking about 19-29-30 campaign. Um, so yeah, they're having a terrible time at the moment. Yeah. Okay, so good. Ben Foster is now the oldest goalkeeper to keep a clean sheet at Old Trafford. And that's quite surprising considering Edwin... Didn't Edwin van der Sar play till he was about 50? I guess it's from, from an opposing point of view. Oh, right, fair enough. Ben Foster's 38. He's nearly 39, I think, on So, And then the last one, um, I've gone a bit French on this one. Um, This is about PSG as well. So Mbappe is now PSG's second all-time goal scorer um, with 156 goals, overtaking Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Blimey. And what is he? He's, he's still only like 19, isn't he, or something? No, he's like 20, I think, 19, 20. Cavani is actually their all-time top goal scorer. Blimey. Um, I think it, he's, Mbappe is 30, and he's 30, I think, um, to get there. But yeah. So we'll get it by the end of the season then, to be fair. Yeah, probably. <laughs> but they didn't win the league last season, did they? No, <laughs> amazingly. Unbelievable. In the league of one. Um, so yeah, so we're going to end on, um, uh, who am I? Um, uh, now the twist in this is that this person has been mentioned in this podcast, this episode. So it's uh, a player that has already been mentioned. So I'm going to list off the clubs that he's played for and then see if you can get it. And then I do have a clue for you if you need it. Okay. But I don't think you will because it actually tells you who he plays for now. Okay. Okay, so uh, he has played for, in this order, Racing Club Warwick. That's where he started his, his career. Uh, he then moved to Stoke, and then Bristol City, and then he went out on loan to Tiverton, Stafford Rangers, Kidderminster, and Wrexham. Before he was bought by Manchester United... He then went out on loan to Watford and Birmingham before then being bought by West Brom and his most recent club is Watford. Okay. So the the thing that stands out, there's not many players that have moved from Wrexham <laughs> to Manchester United. Um but I think you're a little bit unlucky because I think I saw an interview of him this week where he was talking about Darren Ferguson being the Wrexham manager and recommending him to his dad, Sir Alex. Uh, uh, he doesn't. <laughs> I think it's the video recording goalkeeper himself, Ben Foster. It is the cycling goalkeeper, yeah, Ben Foster, uh, who I just mentioned in The Wonders of Life. So, yeah, nice. was Ben Foster. Um, your clues uh, were 
the first clue I was going to give you that he's actually never scored a goal, um, which was going to be the clue for it's probably a goalkeeper, and then that he had played for England eight times. Was it only eight? I thought he was number one for quite a while. Yeah, I heard an interesting story um, on a podcast about him, about when he he went to the World. I think this is at the World Cup in 2000. It was under Capello. So what would that be? 2006 or 2010? Would have been 10, wouldn't 2010, it? 2010, I think, yeah. So basically, he was told that... Um, so his... Something to do with his wife was going to be given birth. Uh, it might not have even been at the World Cup, actually. I think it was just a normal friend. It was just a normal England game, actually. I remember now. And his wife was due to give birth, so he went off. He left the England training camp and went to obviously be with his wife while she gave birth. And then he got a call saying that to come back, um, obviously when she'd had the baby, because he was going to come on at half time in one of the games. Right, and then he got there. He never came on. They never oh, came on. You'd be livid, wouldn't you? So you can understand. Yeah, I, I think he refused to play for Capello after that. I was, yeah, I was going to say, didn't he retire from international football for yeah. a bit and come back? That, um, yeah, yeah. That's why. God, you would, yeah. be, wouldn't you? So, what's it? A successful return. It's uh, yeah, a successful return. And, um, yeah, we'll come back next week and, and watch me get embarrassed in a mastermind quiz about Chelsea. Uh, we'll also have more talking points. I'll have more Wonders of White and another Who Am I? So we will see you next week.